What if I told you that we could skip past all the large caps and value companies and other styles and instead invest in themes that you believe in? Here's what matters. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Terenet. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team. What we think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's diversified portfolio series, including the Income Builder Fund, as well as bespoke solutions for our partners. By sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of June 4th, 2021, and today we're going to discuss thematic investing. Yes, thematic funds have been one of the big winners to emerge from the global pandemic, with many of these funds posting eye-catching returns over that same period. Well, let's start with what we mean by thematic investing. Traditionally, investors have constructed their portfolios in terms of asset class, company size, geography, sector. In fact, we speak about those things regularly here on the program. But the way we move about our actual lives or think about the world and investment opportunities can be different than that. Cue thematic investments. Exactly. So for example, what if instead of investing in a single car company you want to invest in, you could just invest in the electrification of vehicles, batteries and infrastructure and all that good stuff, and the car companies that were moving in that direction? Or what if instead of investing in a gym chain, you wanted to invest in healthy lifestyle trends? Mm, Those are interesting. And as the supply of these niche and often gimmicky funds from asset managers has increased, the demand for clarity and guidance from our investors has grown. Like, how do we classify, assess, and implement these funds? For example, which style box would you look to for a gym chain or healthy lifestyle type of opportunity? Not small caps necessarily, or not value stocks necessarily, but probably a different grouping of companies. So in response, investors have increasingly sought approaches that match the way they think about the world and and these themes that they think will endure. Yes, it's revolutionizing style. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Another good example to add to the list of what you, all the good examples you just said is e-commerce, which is different from just consumer staples, the sector, or other areas of consumer spending. It's a specific theme and a specific strategy that companies seek to achieve and not all succeed, making it an interesting area for some investors. And the investment industry is adapting to that different way of thinking by introducing these thematic investment products that Robert mentioned earlier. Oh, yes, they are adapting. Are you ready for some numbers? Always. All right. According to Morningstar, a record 237 new thematic funds debuted globally in 2020 alone. And that's up from the 167 new funds that debuted in 2019. As of the end of March 2021, so just this last quarter, there were 1,276 surviving funds that were thematic in Morningstar's global database with that classification. Wow, that is a a lot of themes and a lot of funds. It is. And through that same time, they've really gathered assets. 
AUM in these funds, assets under management, has more than tripled to $595 billion, up from $174 billion worldwide, and now represent a whopping 2% of all assets invested in equity funds globally. That means tremendous growth from investors focusing on trends rather than style boxes, with a goal of providing investors access to structural changes, as he talks about, and the expected transformation or deeply felt values. So today, what we'll do with the rest of our time is explain different ways of thinking about thematic funds in a broader portfolio. And of course, we'll extrapolate on that a little bit in the portfolio pause. Yes, and I hate to break it to our listeners, but implementing a theme or themes into a portfolio really depends on the theme itself and you, the individual. Your goals, time horizon, risk tolerances, and values will inform the appropriate approach. A classic, it depends kind of answer. Classic. I'm joking, but what you're saying, Robert, is completely true, even to the most basic way you consider thematic exposure. So for example, really first order question, how much of your portfolio should you allocate to a given theme? There are incredibly different ways to think about this. And investors with a longer time horizon and high conviction in a theme or a set of values that they really care about could use a diversified thematic fund as their core allocation, meaning that it forms the dominant and longstanding portion of their investment portfolio. Others may use thematic funds as a way to consider diversification, subbing in themes instead of international allocation or some other asset class, just as one example. Yeah. It also depends on the theme in particular. Some themes are really broad and can easily fit into a portfolio as a major allocation, so long as the right risk controls are in place. But other themes are super narrow and maybe require a more specific approach or a true subjective passion for the theme. Oh, wow. I didn't know we were going to be talking about subjective passion in the podcast. Well, yes. Does this theme have a prospect for a big return in that investor's opinion or for big value in another way, like investing in solving a problem or a product that somebody's very passionate about? So when you say solving a problem, you mean like addressing climate change or maybe wine production? Yeah. Well, that's a good example of a broad and a narrow focus potentially, but also things like esports or health and wellness or clean energy or oceans. You'll notice here that some themes like the climate change one you suggested are quite broad, while others like wine also you suggested are pretty narrow. Both are passions for some investors with potentially good prospects for return potential, but they can drive portfolio returns in much different ways under much different investment circumstances. And while we're talking about thematic investing as though it's it's very different from size and style or sector investing, and it is, what you're describing there in terms of driving different portfolio returns in different ways, that still holds for these thematic investments. They can, they can really be quite different in the way that they impact a portfolio. Exactly. And I'm thinking about, you know, an example like health technology. This is a narrower theme. So if you were trying to invest in health tech, it should probably be implemented as a satellite position or as a replacement for a specific equity sleeve that you already have in your portfolio. Basically thinking of the investment as your dominant portfolio construction product. You instead complement and enhance your core so your long-term strategic goals with themes that reflect somebody's beliefs or somebody's conviction. And it's all in 
or made relative to their overall risk tolerance. Yeah, I like that you're bringing in a sort of clear explanation of satellite investing because compared to a balanced core of investments, which you mentioned typically seeks to achieve market rate returns and, and make up sort of the long-term goals of an investment portfolio, a satellite position is a specialist investment, which seeks to achieve typically additional alpha. And I like the satellite approach as a starting point for themes. Let's say you just don't know very much about thematic investing, but you're interested in applying some of your portfolio to something you really care about. Let's say the alpha for you is more about making a difference in the world in some given way. Or maybe you're instead thinking about a theme in terms of something that you really think is going somewhere. It's something that will add portfolio value. So thinking about alpha in a more traditional investment way. Either way, considering a smaller satellite exposure might be a good way to try the approach on, so to speak, because to be honest, these are relatively new investment styles. Not new like last year, but new as in they haven't existed for the decades and decades it takes to get a sense how they do within a broader portfolio over time. Right. That's a very good point. And it also comes down to portfolio construction elements, like how that theme is actually embedded. You're not just buying a theme, you're buying a theme that's been constructed by a very specific asset manager. And so when you're putting all this together in a broad context, I think there are some rules of thumb that an investor can use to consider how much they should allocate to a theme, even if you're considering a smaller allocation, like a satellite approach that you just talked about, Lauren. The first is to know the volatility of your core allocation. How much risk do you take strategically? In introducing a thematic investment to your portfolio, it's important to size that thematic position, that bet, so that it doesn't interfere with an investor's long-run return objectives, which is usually risk-based. That checks out to me. Understanding top-down how much risk you're taking in the portfolio is really important for understanding whether it makes sense for you to add or adjust your risk with a different type of investment theme like we're discussing here. The second rule of thumb for investors then is about the volatility or the risk of the satellite itself. The riskier the theme is or the more volatility it would add to your portfolio, the less you can allocate to that theme before significantly deviating from financial goals. Very good job, Lauren. I really appreciate that. And we can both take a deep breath now because we got close to some really wonky math on that one and we avoided it. <laughs> I think we can skip the wonky math for the podcast, but if anybody's interested in the wonky math, you can reach out to us. Oh, of course. And it is a helpful rule of thumb. These are, you know, they're satellite exposures after all. And so keeping your overall portfolio in mind is really important. And risk is obviously one of the most important components of that. Mm, couldn't agree more. So I think in sum, here's how investors in thematic funds are making a trifecta bet. Specifically, they are implicitly betting that one, they're picking a winning theme. Two, they're selecting a fund that is constructed and well-placed to harness that theme. And three, they are making a wager that when valuations show the market hasn't already priced in that theme's potential, basically value-driven investing. The odds of winning these bets are probably pretty low, but anytime there's risk, there's reward and the payouts could possibly be meaningful. Now it's time for our portfolio pause, a section of the program where we share an investment idea. And today I would like to focus in on a very niche aspect of the thematic universe, which is sustainable investments. 
I'm so glad we will focus on this because we just get so many listener questions in this space. Yes. And specifically, I want to address thematic investments that have an impact. Before we do that, maybe we should take a step back and just define some terminology here for our investors. Yeah, that's a good idea. You actually caught my hesitation there and you always catch me on definitions. There's probably three that we have to define. There's ESG investing, which are just factors used to analyze material risks. So how does a company conduct itself? their operations, and the way they engage with society and the environment. This can be applied to any theme or any investment. Then there's sustainability-themed investing. So we said we were going to talk about some sustainable investing. These are investments in themes or assets related to sustainability, like clean energy or sustainable agriculture. Then let's go a step deeper. There's impact investing the third. And this is a targeted investment aimed at solving social or environmental problems that we witness every day. Yeah. So if you're trying to decide between the three or really parse out what one of these three might mean to you, investors should first identify their intention. Do you want to have an impact or are you simply trying to reduce the material risk of environmental, social, or governance related factors in your portfolio? After they've decided what their intention is investors should do their due diligence because these funds can vary significantly in their construction and their efficacy on a given theme. And then finally, investors should size their position appropriately. As we discussed earlier, it's important to ensure that any position you take doesn't deviate from your long-term strategic goals in your portfolio. Exactly. And we think it's an area that investors should be curious about and check out because ESG materiality will likely play an important role in risk mitigation into the future. It's the direction the industry is heading in. Green, sustainable investments, particularly those geared towards infrastructure, will likely offer decades-long trends for investors to harness so long as they can do it at the right price. And impact investing, that third definition I shared, is certainly nascent, it's pretty new, but it's growing and it's showing some promise of achieving both returns and impacting society for the better. Coming up next, this week is Fed Week, which we all know is my favorite week. And while I don't expect any major announcements from the Fed this week, I do expect a change in tone, meaning that as we've seen higher inflation numbers, not only in the economic data, but also from surveys and in news reports, it's hard for the Fed not to take notice. And so they'll likely acknowledge that they are watching carefully these inflationary pressures, but still expect them to be transitory. Still, they'll start to signal out to the world that they're thinking about thinking about maybe one day reducing the pace of accommodation, probably by updating their economic forecasts, revising them up, um, and potentially showing a rate hike in as early, and you can't see me, but I'm putting that in air quotes, as early as the end of 2023, which is sooner than their current projections allow. Thinking about, thinking about, thinking about, wow. Well, we're short on time here, but Lauren, you would be happy to know that I think nothing is as important as this Fed week. Yay. Well, that's it for today. We'll be back next week with more Market Matters. Yes, let us know what matters to you. If you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on social media. Send us your questions or highlight what matters to you by finding us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views on our new website at newyorklifeinvestments.com and clicking the Insights tab or by going to the Multi-Asset Solutions page. Until then, I am Robert Sarenbetz. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. See you next time. 
Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamont, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about Mainstay Funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. Certain environmental, social, and governance, or ESG, criteria may be considered when evaluating an investment opportunity. This may result in the fund having exposure to securities or sectors that are significantly different than the composition of the fund's benchmark and perform differently than other funds and strategies in its peer group that do not take ESG criteria into account. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is a service mark and name under which New York Life Investment Management LLC does business. New York Life Investments is an indirect subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company, New York, New York 10010, and provides investment advisory services and products. New York Life Distributors LLC is located at 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey 07302. New York Life Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.